0: Hey, everyone. The It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. Thanks, and enjoy the episode.
1: What one story, written in a way that integrates sports and business and highlights the economic contributions of an immigrant population, what one story can help people see a different perspective.
0: Everyone talks about improving community engagement, but what does that mean for a newsroom that's trying to improve its engagement with a large immigrant population within its community? I'm Michael O'Connell. Welcome to It's All Journalism. Liz Robbins began her career as a sports writer before moving over to the Metro section. It's there that she began reporting on immigrant neighborhoods, uplifting voices, and exposing injustices both during the Obama and Trump administrations. Liz is here to talk about that and her current role as the Director of Journalism Partnerships at Define American. Liz, welcome to It's All Journalism. Thanks, Michael. Happy to be here. Happy to have you here. We don't always get a lot of people who out of the gate and say, yeah, I started as a, a sports writer, but then I, I moved into this other area. So what led you to becoming a journalist? When did you get interested in it? I was on the high school newspaper staff
1: in Philadelphia at my school. And then I went to pretty much the first week of college at Cornell. I joined the newspaper staff there on the sports staff. The sports editor stood up after everybody gave their spiel about each of their departments and said, join sports, were more fun. So of course, I was also an athlete, Michael. So I was a four-sport athlete, field hockey, tennis, basketball, and lacrosse, which was my sport. But I think what attracted me to sports journalism was not just the fun part, it was the stories behind the games. So yeah, you can always go to a city council meeting, but as I learned later, you still have to cover the people. And sports afforded me that opportunity to find what motivates people, what their backstory is. And so I got an internship at the Washington Post. Actually, I started at the Boston Globe and an internship the second summer at the Washington Post. And from there, I spent 15 years as a sports writer and I covered four Olympics for the New York Times, and or two for the New York Times, two for the Cleveland Plain Dealer, and I covered the NBA for seven years. I was the national columnist for the New York Times on the NBA, and I realized after seven years of doing that full-time, it was time to make a change. So I did, I wrote a book. <laughs> this was my bridge, and I'm so excited to talk to you about this because the book was about the New York City Marathon, And this is how I got into metro reporting. So, of course, it's the first Sunday in November, the marathon. But what I did was cover every chapter was a mile on the course. And I talked about the history of the neighborhoods. And many of them were immigrant neighborhoods in New York. And I started realizing how much I loved the city. And so I asked to move from sports to metro. They weren't sure that a sports reporter could cover, quote, hard news. So they put me on the breaking news desk, in which I wrote faster than everybody, because as a sports writer, you have deadlines. And I was able to work with reporters in the field. So I covered lots of terrible plane crashes, the Chilean miners disaster, the oil rig disaster outside of New Orleans, BP oil spill, like big events. And then I joined the metro section of the New York Times, where I was the Brooklyn Bureau chief. And yeah, we actually had bureaus back then. And that's where I really developed my love for not only covering gentrification, but my love for immigrant neighborhoods and learning the backstories of people. So that's the short answer in 2015, which was essentially seven years after I left the sports beat on a high level, I became the Metro immigration reporter.
0: Interesting, and to your point about you know serious stories in sports, it's all you know just games and stuff until Colin Kaepernick kneels down, and then suddenly it's a national story of dire importance.
1: Or the Philadelphia Phillies are playing, which is a national story of <laughs>
0: dire oh, importance. I take it you're you're rooting for that now. By the time this is published, um, we'll all have know. I know the end of the the world but series
1: it really shows when i was 10 years old the phillies won the world series and so i was like every kid in philadelphia i was addicted to the phillies you know, i had baseball cards i loved it so i followed something so passionately and i haven't lost that passion for what i'm doing
0: well that's good I and mean, you guys needed to get bryce harper from the nationals i understand that yeah um, sorry about that but that's yay okay. mr yeah, home well, run derby well, we couldn't win a World Series until he was gone anyway. So anyway, I'm rooting actually for the Phillies as well. But anyway, <laughs> when this runs, it, oh, if they only knew what happened in, in Game 7. But hopefully yeah, that won't be exactly. the case. exactly. We'll all be celebrating. <laughs> this was the last, this was the final interview before she disappeared after the World Series. So now you're you're covering immigration in for the New York Times. I mean, what was sort of... The Times' strategy at that point of covering immigration, or was there a strategy?
1: Oh, there was a strategy, and it was so crucial that I started in 2015. The strategy was to mix feature stories of neighborhoods and personalities with breaking news. And yes, this was Obama, but it really the administration, but it really set the stage for what was happening. Obviously, in 2015, so much was happening. So Yes, I got to report stories on Ghanaian hip life, which is a form of rock <laughs> uh, and hip hop. So I met an artist, but you know, future stories like that mixed with family detention, like the Burks Detention Center and women going on a hunger strike because they were unfairly detained there and their asylum claims were rejected. But this was also the uncertainty with DACA still continuing. And not only did I write about DACA recipients, I focused on recipients who were Teach for America core members and how that was so prevalent in that organization and what it meant to them. I'm still in touch with people now. And of course, Syrian refugees that sparked so much controversy in certain states. Do you remember there was a family flying to Indiana and it's supposed to go to Indianapolis. And then Governor Mike Pence, while they were midair, blocked them from landing in Indianapolis. So I found this out when they were across the Atlantic. And then I found out where they were going. And I broke this story that they were accepted by a group, a nonprofit, an incredible nonprofit in New Haven. And this became national news. So when we say that local news is just covering immigrant communities, it's not. It's covering the breaking news that is national that also happens to affect local communities.
0: And of course, within the last month or so, we had a very dramatic, I guess, national demonstration of that, the the whole Martha's Vineyard um, stunt with the Martha Martha Vineyards flight. So tell me about Define American. You know, what is that as an organization? You know, what's its mission and how did you get involved with it?
1: So you had asked me about the New York Times strategy of of covering immigration. And it was all in leading up to, to Trump and during Trump. And then at some point after Biden was elected, I think we saw this in some publications where, because it wasn't front and center, even though it became obviously in the next several years as we've seen, departments thought, okay, we can ease off a little bit. So I know that there was a little bit of a lessening of the day-to-day immigration reporting. Short story, they offered buyouts and I had been at the Times for 19 years. And I said, okay, I've been in three different departments. It's time to try something new. So Define American has been around for 11 years. Jose Antonio Vargas, who you may know, a Pulitzer Prize winner at the Washington Post, he came out as undocumented in a New York Times Magazine article. And that month he founded Define American. And it's really a media company. I mean, it's a company to humanize the narrative in all forms of media, Hollywood, you know, writers' rooms, Our digital report on youtube and xenophobia and the words that they use why they're so dangerous and in addition we've got like a creative artist fellowship so all across the board what they didn't have was journalism which is curious because that's what jose did so i signed on in 2021 i just thought it was perfect we're a small but mighty organization and so i've been trying to use what i've learned at the new york times and create guides for journalists. So we talk about words. For example, my first project was about dehumanizing words on the border, right? Flood, invasion, crisis, wave. Those were words that everybody was using and of course illegal. And then, so we proposed who did the best reporting. We we did a, you know, a very quick snapshot research. Turns out the news organizations on the border had the best sense of the words to use and the people they were covering because they do it all the time. That was fascinating. So anyway, our organization is really research-based, and that's what led us to do this story, to do this report, actually.
0: Well, yeah, and I was going to get into the report. So, you know, what were some of the lessons that that came out of it? You know, As you said, that a lot of the people who do this regularly are the ones who are doing it well. What are some of the lessons that journalists can learn about how they need to approach the the immigration coverage?
1: What we found and what we recommend are actually two very different things. So the two top line findings I would lead with, you know, what surprised me most was the fact that there aren't enough people, reporters covering this consistently. And those who are are early career reporters. So it's really different than what you see on the staffs of national papers like the Washington Post or the LA Times and local news. This is funded very much by Report for America. So they underwrite positions that go into marginalized communities and previously underserved communities. And sometimes it's working with legacy news. So of the 300 media outlets in North Carolina, three people are covering immigrant communities full-time, focusing on that. And they're all with Report for America. And in 2021, there were six. So that's a surprise. So that answers your question about consistent coverage. Right now, we found that it was very piecemeal, that it was based on like a tragedy or a crime. and. You know, we certainly know that immigrants are associated with either being victims or being criminals. I mean, it has been started since uh, age old, but of course, Trump reinforced that, as we all know. And I don't want to repeat what he said. It's the fear of the other. And that fear is being weaponized right now, and polarized and politicized. And how do you get around that? By doing neutral reporting. But reporting on all demographics. So that's the second finding that was really, really eye opening. So, North Carolina, we chose it because it really is a bellwether for the nation. Its demographics are rising, its immigrant population is rising, and it's not just the Latinx population, which is the largest. But in 20 years, we looked at the span, the immigrant population has doubled which is huge. I would say it's two times the rate of the the rest of the nation, that doubling. But the Asian American and Pacific Islander ethnicity, their ethnicity is the largest, fastest growing in North Carolina. But as far as the immigrant population, it's nearly one third. And yet the coverage of AAPI immigrants is less than 4% of all immigration coverage. So newsrooms aren't doing their due diligence. You certainly need to understand the communities that you're reporting on. You look at demographics and say, "Wow, who knew there was like this enclave of Vietnamese farmers outside of Greensboro? Why don't we do a story on them but but find out, you know, what are the similarities and how are they acclimating and do they have enough language access and where are they finding housing?" There's not enough manpower to do this and I say manpower, people power. And that's an issue. So, also typecasting AAPI, the immigrants that you'll see in the research triangle, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, very much Indian. And how do we know this? We know this not only by demographics, by this great story on cricket. Can I tell you about that?
0: Yes, please.
1: Okay, so this gets back to sports.
0: Of course, everything gets eventually gets back to sports. It
1: does. And I will say my my British cousin came to stay with us one summer and taught me cricket with tennis rackets. I still don't quite get it, I will say, but I know it's insanely popular in Brooklyn. I actually got to cover some of the I mean, go to some of the matches. So the Bangladeshi community, the Jamaican community. So sports is really a way to unite. And we took one story, my research director, Sarah Lowe, who was spearheading the research angles of this project, and was great, working with not only Media Ecosystems Analysis Group with Media Cloud to do a content analysis, she worked with the University of Florida Center for Public Interest Studies. And we wanted to determine people's attitudes and beliefs, and if news stories could actually change them. So here's what we found with this cricket story. We had 1,160 people read it. And this was in an audience survey, chosen representatives of all across North Carolina. And they read the story that was by Laura Brashe of the News and Observer of Raleigh that talked very little about the immigration, but more they were here. They had this great club and they lobbied the city of Morrisville, a, a suburb to improve the stadium for cricket. And this way they could bring in national championships in the minor league circuit. And it was pretty cool with lights and all of this. And of course, there's all kinds of team drama going on because, you know, that's what sports is all about. So she wrote this story. And we had in our survey people were, were asked their beliefs on immigrants. And here's where it gets interesting. So 46% believed that they took resources away from the U.S. born. And there were some other findings, like 38% said that they thought that immigrants were criminals or created criminal acts, basically not positive. So remember that 46, right? They take jobs and resources. And then 31% actually thought immigration should be decreased. Okay, so that's what we're starting with. They read this story that was headlined, Crazy About Cricket, good alliteration, and 94% agreed that the immigrants depicted in the story were good citizens for our country. 80% agreed, they are people like me. And 97% agreed, simply, they are good people. So, Very powerful metrics on this to show the impact. Now, we don't know if their attitudes or beliefs changed, (laughs) right? We just know kind of ancillary what one story written in a way that integrates sports and business and highlights the economic contributions of an immigrant population, what one story can help people see a different perspective.
0: Yeah, it's great that you have data that that seems to back that because anybody who gets into journalism knows that secret. If we write something, part of what we do want to do is not necessarily influence people, but to expose people to something that they're not familiar with and maybe expand their worldview a little bit about that. That's the key, it's the huh
1: never thought about that. Or the, you know, where's the surprise? We look at the surprise. We look at, is there conflict? Does something challenge a narrative that we had thought that's what makes for a good story?
0: Yeah. I can't tell how many stories we do at the job that I have where, you know, the commenters will immediately jump on somebody's name, you know, and make assumptions about where they're from or, you know, some action has happened in the, in the community. And there'll be commentators who are just like, oh, well, you know, that's because of XX and X, because having to do with immigration and people in the community. And the only way you sort of change those attitudes is, is sort of what you say, is tell these different types of stories, show where people are relatable. And then maybe the thing that you also said, how they can actually benefit society, benefit the community that they're in by maybe creating work, creating jobs, creating new opportunities for people to enjoy sports. Which is, always, which is always welcome. Food, too. Food. Oh, food. my God. Yes.
1: I mean, you're in Virginia. Yeah. No. Great food. I mean, Washington, D.C. is an explosion of incredible food. We just had this great dinner with some reporters at the Planet Word Museum that Immigrant Food uh, runs, and it's terrific Venezuelan chef. Anyway, all I'm saying is that Any reporter who covers immigration is also a foodie, it seems, and you have to be. I mean, I can't tell you how many iftars I've gone to and really spicy foods, but you sit down and you learn about people's culture through food and sports and business and music. But the point is, it shouldn't be about policy because you don't want to read about that. Unless, of course, you're a policy wonk and I forgive you all who are listening who our policy wants.
0: One of the nice things about living in the D.C. area, there's this strange sort of historical, I guess, truth is when there is a crisis or something in another part of the world and there are refugees, many of them gravitate toward Washington, D.C. And the benefit of that for the local residents is that, A, there's a diverse culture. It's not just food. But B, that suddenly there's all different types of food. I mean, there's, there are great Ethiopian restaurants restaurants in DC. Vietnamese in Virginia. You know, we've had so many guests on this podcast talking about, you know, diversity, sustainability, you know, newsrooms need to change their focuses that are covering the, you know, who the community actually is. The newsroom doesn't represent the population that's out there. You know, I hear a lot of those conversations and things like that. And and sort of what you're describing is recognizing that there's a population that you're not covering well, that maybe you should be. Maybe that's an audience for you. That's one of my one of my observations. I guess the question is that how can sort of newsrooms make immigration a priority?
1: We recognize how hard it is right now for newsrooms. Not only are commercial newsrooms and nonprofit newsrooms trying to really survive, but they're also trying to diversify. And they're trying to cover local news. And in one sense, it's almost like, you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, we're not going to cover that because it's not in the news. (laughs) So the real key here would be convincing editors. So hi, any editors or newsroom leaders who are listening to this, this is my spiel. But this is why it's so important. Your reporters know what they're up against going into communities that have historically not really trusted legacy news or people coming in to from outside the community. So obviously there is a new move in journalism. It's movement journalism, solutions journalism, community centered journalism, nonprofit journalism. And this really reevaluates who the news is for, but not just that, don't make it about your community, make it for the community, with the community. I mean, this is really inherently what journalism should be doing, service journalism and informing people of what's going on. That's number one. How do you do that? So we recognize that not every staff can have an immigration reporter. And, you know, look, even the New York Times got rid of Basically, a full time immigration reporter was at the immigration courts and, you know, covering a different story every other day as if it were covering the New York Knicks, which is also a national tragedy. But the important thing to know is you don't have to hire someone specifically. We'd love it if that were happening. But how about educating your entire newsroom? So say the business reporter or the education reporter? What are the demographics in schools? How's the language access? That is a huge issue. Environmental concerns, climate change and marginalized communities, that is really an impact. There are are intersectionality, the intersectionality of reporting right now is the key. So the more each person, each staff, and I'm also talking about editors who understand that Immigration naturally intersects with so many subjects. And the more we can educate people on the history, the language, the basic laws between, you know, asylum, humanitarian parole, and what's happening with Haitians, Venezuelans, Afghans in and Ukraine, and, and the inherent inequality of our immigration system in DACA, I could go on like that. I have a one hour seminar that distills it all. And I'm doing a traveling show for those people and also on YouTube or on uh, Zoom or whatever works for those who want the solutions presented to them. But you have to want it first. You said it, it's responsible. Community engagement is what's hot right now in journalism. But how do you engage a community if you just, do you translate your stories? Do you involve the the sources before, during, after, yes, that's what you do. So it's more keys on how to report, which we learned in North Carolina.
0: Yeah. And it's funny that the list of things you said, those are all the tags of the last like five years of, uh, of episodes on our podcast because I mean, yes, movement journalism, solutions, journalism, community focused journalism, getting into the community. I'm sure you're aware of documented and why. I'm
1: big fans of them. And when I was teaching at Columbia, my students were actually writing for them. And I mentor several of their students. They rock.
0: Yeah, we had them on a while ago. But it's it's interesting because that one kind of starkly sort of demonstrates one issue, which is like, you know, they needed to find how that audience was sharing news or getting news. And, you know, I think a lot of people, when they look out, it's like, yeah, we don't cover the intimate community really well. And part of it is because you haven't covered it really well, and they may not be coming to you because they're not interested in the stories that you're telling. So, again, it's important to get into the community. It's, it's important to engage them where they're at. And, like, Documented NY, they're engaging a lot of people on WhatsApp, for example. Because that's where the audience was and that's where they were able to report the stories. At the time, when I talked to them, it was all in the midst of the pandemic lockdown. So there was a lot of demand for you know information about health, healthcare, that that, that community couldn't get really anywhere else because they didn't have any other connections to news sources.
1: There's always a connection. It is a small world in the immigrant-focused nonprofit. So Documented actually worked with the one nonprofit immigrant-centered organization we featured, and that's Enlace Latino NC. So I know their director, Nicolás Ríos, worked with Paola Armillo on their WhatsApp channel. They shared best practices. And I love that because Enlace Latino is, is really the documented of New York. And what Paola said is so crucial do not weigh impact in clicks, but in conversations. And here's the problem with that, however. You still have to make money. So there is this natural tension. And nonprofits can do it because they are supported, although it's precarious, always looking for grants. But it's a whole new model of impact. It's not about clicks. It's about informing people so that they can make life-changing decisions whether it be how do you go to the polls to elect not who but how what is our election system and giving it to people in a language that they can understand
0: yeah it, it seems simple it seems like something that people should be doing but they don't do it for all the other reason for whatever reason well, this this has been this has been fascinating <laughs> i feel like i could talk to you for another hour you know, let us know what Define American is doing. Thanks for being on the podcast.
1: Michael, thank you. Thanks for letting me talk about it. I do tend to get quite excited about it because I think there is a real opportunity here. And I want to uplift, point out areas where all of journalism can do better, because I think we're in a really urgent situation now.
0: You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud,